Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to get right into the word of the Lord, verses 1 through 4 will be our text. And I can already tell you that God's going to do something impactful in your life. He already has. When his presence shows up, that's the ultimate. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Today, we're going to end our series on the subject one. Have you enjoyed the series in January? One. In February, we're moving into oneness. We're going to talk about being made whole and how important that is for you to enjoy interdependent relationships in your life. So that's going to be a powerful month. On Wednesdays, we'll enjoy relationship realities. We have Gary McIntosh and Debbie McIntosh, Clint and Kendall Brown, Joe and Yolanda Morgan, a lot of people on Wednesday nights with us in February. It's going to be great. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. <clears throat> and behold, there came a leper. Say those four words, there came a leper. Say it like you mean it. Yeah, see that. That's why behold is there. This is serious business. There came a leper and worshiped him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him like he's already touched many of you today like he will touch many of you today and he touched him saying I will say two words with me God will say it loud he said I will be thou clean and immediately 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 his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said unto him see thou tell no man but go thy way Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for testimony unto them. I'm going to preach a message this morning that is entitled, There is one in every crowd. Say those words around three or four people around you there. There's one in every crowd. If I was going to subtitle this message, I would call it the one God is looking for. Say that with me. The one God is looking for. Amen. Father, we thank you now for the reading of your word. Have your way. Save people. Heal people. Restore people. Do the work of your ministry among us. Every generational curse is broken. And every generational spirit would be dismissed. That would be diametrically opposed to our destiny. Let the anointing lead and guide us into truth today. When we arrive at truth, we are made free in the name of Jesus. What do you say just for, just for the sake of doing it? Let's give God one more big praise before we sit down, shall we? Amen. Shout it before you sit down. There's one in every crowd. Come on. You may be seated. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Where is George and Margaret at, Tony? Where are they sitting at? 
Where's Radonna City? There they are in the back. George, Thomas, and Margaret. It's been so long, right, Tony, since we've seen them. We love you guys. That man could get up here on his keyboard and play heaven in here. So good to see you guys. It's been a while. God bless you. Give them a good hand, folks, all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma. A.W. Tozer said, God wants worshipers before he wants workers. Indeed, he said, the only acceptable workers are those who have learned the art of worship. The only acceptable workers are those that have learned the art of worship. He goes on to say the very stones would praise him if the need arose. And thousands of legions of angels would leap just to do his will. Strong vocabulary. Our text tells us in verse number one, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Can I talk to you about the crowd just for a moment? Great multitudes followed him. I want to submit to you that the great multitude that followed him when he came down from the mountain was a multitude that waited for him to come down. It's not one that created a confluence once he arrived. It was one waiting for him when he got there. Hmm. We know they were waiting. Because Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 says these words. And seeing the multitudes, he went up. He went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came to him. Imagine being in that multitude. You were following him and he went up. He didn't invite you. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very specific that the only ones that went up with him were his disciples. Therefore, for three chapters, the multitude stood at the bottom of the mountain. I guess I'm asking you, how long could you wait? The disciples went up with him. Mountain. Look at it in the Greek. It means this, a place above the plain. I'll say it again. A place above the plain. I thought I heard the Holy Ghost say during worship, I'm going to take you to a place above the plain. I don't know about you all, but I get tired of the plain. The plain can be very, very boring. Plain is not fun. And I think I heard the Holy Ghost say in worship, I'm going to take this church to a place above. Is anybody in here ready to go above the plane? I just, you say, is that a play on words, Pastor Rick? Absolutely. It sure is. But I promise you one thing. 
When you leave this building this morning, you, will be not, you won't be walking plain. You'll be above the plane. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> that is a good word. Mountains in scripture always represent not just peaks of intimacy. Mountains throughout scripture represent places of listening and learning. Listening and learning. That's why everyone can't go. If you don't want to learn, you're not invited. You're left in the plane. But if you want to learn, you can be seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Somebody shout, let's go up today. So while I'm reading this, I start asking myself questions. What did they hear? What did those disciples enjoy that the multitude missed out on? What did they hear? More than that, what did they learn? See, everyone in this building will hear today. Some will listen today. But there will be people that leave this building today that have learned something. You ever heard that old term? You're going to learn today. Tell your neighbor, you're going to learn today. <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus preached to the disciples the Sermon on the Mount. He did not preach it to the multitude. He preached it to people who wanted to learn. Strong. Theologians tell us that the sermon lasted two or three days. Some folks can't listen to preacher for two or three minutes. Now, it's not real clear in history if he talked for 48 hours. It could be that he would speak and rest and speak some more. I know I can preach a long time. Now, I can't preach as long as Miles Monroe used to could preach. They didn't name him Miles for nothing. But I know what I can't do. I, I couldn't preach for two or three days. I may have a few hours worth of preaching in me. But Jesus took two or three days to preach the gospel to his disciples. What kind of gospel did he preach? I thought I would just pull out some of his points because I want you to ask yourself, would they fit in the day we live in? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. He preached on that a while, and then he started talking about the need to be salt. And when the salt, the salt has lost its seasoning, it's thrown out. That would go over like a lead balloon in this generation. Then he preached on being light. Yeah. Then he preached on murder. Whew. I'm just giving you the points of the way Jesus was preached because his next point is adultery. Yeah. Then he preached on divorce. 
getting quieter and quieter on each point. We started out with a bunch of amens when we talked about blessed. I think he set them up. Jesus was a good preacher. You're blessed, blessed, blessed. Don't commit adultery. Don't be killing folks. Then he preached on love. Oh, this one goes over well in every church. He preached on giving. Jesus preached on giving. Then he preached on prayer. His next point was fasting. Then he preached on treasures. Where's your treasure? Then he preached on judging other people. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This was his points. Notice that he didn't give the poem. You know, in Bible college, they teach you, preach three points, give a poem. I'm on point number what? Seven, eight? He's never given a poem. Parable? Maybe, not a poem. I just got this feeling Jesus was not a cute preacher. I just have a feeling he went just straight to it. Right? He said, don't judge lest you be judged. Be careful how you judge people because the way you judge others, you're going to be judged. That's what he said. Then he preached on these gates. And he said, one of them is very narrow. He preached on fruit. Then he preached on the art of building. And he did that in chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. And something happened in the middle of his message. He just stopped preaching and he dropped a bomb. The bomb is found in chapter 7, verse 7. He stopped preaching and he says these words. Ask. And it shall be given to you. Seek. And you will find. Knock. And it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives. He that seeks finds. And to him that knocks it shall be opened. Maybe that was his three points. Or what man is there of you? If your son asked for bread, would you give him a stone? If he asked for fish, would you give him a serpent? All of a sudden, he's not preaching. He's talking to these people. Ask, and you shall receive. If you are evil and you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to those that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever you do that men, you should do that knowing that men should do it to you. <laughs> Watch this. For this is the law. He was telling them right in the middle of his message, do not be afraid to ask. Do not be afraid to approach me with inquiries. James is going to say you have not because you ask not. Now I'm all up in the middle of Christ's message. This is how your Savior preaches. Your Savior will preach a few points and stop. And he'll just look at you and say, ask me. Just knock. Just seek. It's almost like he was saying, give me a response to my preaching. I have preached. You make a move. This multitude at the bottom of the hill 
they didn't get to hear the message. You know why? Because there's a great difference between learners and followers. Followers are intrigued but not engaged. Others are engaged but they're not invested. Some are invested but they're only invested for selfish interest. And then there are those who are involved in what Christ himself is interested in. Most of the multitude was seeking something from him. And it wasn't understanding. They had learned if you follow him long enough, you may stumble upon a miracle. That's the way a lot of people follow Christ. They follow him like maybe one day the rabbit might jump up out of the hat. Maybe if I put my hand in the Cracker Jack box, I can pull out a prize. Maybe one day God might do something explosive in my life and the only reason you're following him is for the element of surprise. There's no devotion There's no discipline, there's no discipling, there's no learning because the more you learn about him, the more you understand you have to lean on him. Hmm. There are two kinds of people in church. There are those that know God and then there are those that know those that know God. There are those that really know God and then there are those that follow those that know God. See, to be a part of the multitude, there's only one qualification, getting the multitude. To be in the multitude, all you have to do is just fit in. We live in a gang mentality society. We used to fuss about these kids carrying them colors. Why are you carrying that color in your pocket? Now everybody carrying their colors. We used to fuss with our kids about don't be a part of no gang. Now there's gangs everywhere. And this multitude was just a gang. All you do in a multitude is what everybody else is doing. Just follow along, that's right. Do what everyone else is doing. No writer in all the gospel speaks more of these gangs, I mean multitudes, than Matthew. Matthew talks about multitudes 16 times. There's a problem with being part of the multitude. You know what it is? You can't move very fast. They determine your pace. They give you your cadence. You can only go as far as they are going. The problem with multitudes is multitudes oftentimes get stuck, especially when passing through portals. It's hard for all of us to get through the door at the same time. So you get stuck when you're part of a multitude. The prophet Joel saw it. Chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what he said about multitudes. Multitudes. Double enunciation, he said it again. Multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Multitudes are stuck in the valley of decision. 
Multitudes hang out in valleys. There's a difference in valley dwellers and mountain climbers. The multitude would just dwell always in a valley of decisions, make, trying to make their own decisions. But learners are mountain people will climb that mountain and say to Jesus, teach me something. I'm not here to make my own decisions. I'm here for you to teach me how to make proper decisions according to your will. I'll leave it alone. But I just want you to know Joel saw those multitudes just like Matthew did. But Jesus came down from a mountain. I have a question for you. Did he see that multitude? Did he see the multitude or did Jesus see a man? For some reason, Matthew says, great multitudes followed him. And then he says these words, and there came a leper. Yeah. And then there came one. One. There's one in every crowd. And worshiped him. There came a what? You can say it. There came a what? Now, wait a minute. We're all Bible students. Right? I'm sure you're as curious as I am. How did he get in the multitude? If you a leper, you can't walk with the multitude. As a matter of fact, you have to be quarantined. Yeah, you, you can't be with the multitude because you have to be left alone because what you are carrying is contagious. You're not allowed to be with those other people. You have to stay with those who are just like Boy, it's so easy to stay with people who are just like you. It's so convenient and comfortable to stay with people just like you. Leprosy. Y'all have studied leprosy. I know you have. You're Christians. Leprosy. That hideous disease. For some unique reason, and I'm not here to debate this today by any means, but for some unique reason, theologians compare leprosy to sin. I get it. But to me, a lack of discipline is not a sin. I think maybe some theologians have missed it on leprosy. Because I think there are born-again believers who have, I won't say it, 
because it's hideous. I will not dare say that one of you may have a spot. Not you. Yeah, that's how it starts. It just starts with a spot. It's just a spot that looks like a ringworm. You ever seen those ringworms when you were kids? I remember I got one one time, and I thought, I'm dying. I think I was nine years old, and I got it on my hand. I said, surely, this is either the mark of the beast or the disease that is going to kill me. And I came to find out I just petted a cat too long. No, you... You wouldn't be in here with a spot. You would not bring that in this building. See, but the spot is only the manifestation of what was already in the bloodstream. It was already in there, but the spot lets you know it was in there. Hmm. Interesting. It's contagious. Its commencement is in imperceptible. This is what the doctor said. There appear only some few little spots on the skin. At first they are attended to with no pain or inconvenience, but no means whatever will remove them. The disease increases for many years. The spots become larger and spread over the whole body. When the disease advances, the upper part of the nose swells. The nostrils become enlarged. The nose itself grows soft. Tumors appear on the jaws. The eyebrows begin to swell. The ears become thick to the point that you can no longer hear. The points of the fingers as also the feet and the toes swell. The nails become scaly. The joints of the hands and feet separate and drop off. In the last stage of the disease, the patient becomes a hideous spectacle and falls into pieces. Surely, you didn't bring that spot in this building. Hmm. The first thing that leprosy attacks is the nerve endings. Are y'all still with me? It removes your ability to feel pain. When I saw that, I heard the Holy Ghost speak to me and say, stop, t tell my people to stop asking me to remove the pain. Yeah. Because when you can't feel the pain, you never know when you are healed. If you can't feel pain, how do you ask for relief? See, we are pros in Christianity of asking God to remove the symptoms. But don't deal with that root. I want you to remove the pain that the whatever, I better be careful, relationship. But I don't want to lose the relationship. Lepers. I'm sure I'm the only one that's had a spot in this building. 
where's my, where's my cover? Thank you, Pastor Josh. As a matter of fact, that's straight. Thank you, sir. I have a granddaughter who suffers from, what is that skin disease? Eczema? That's it. You know it. And I noticed that sometimes she'll wear long sleeves. You know why? She don't want anyone to see it. We're good at covering up what we don't want people to see. We hide it. See, but when you have leprosy, you had to be covered completely. There you go. Now do I look like little red Robin, Robin Hood? Is it Riding Hood or Robin Hood? Yeah. And you had to, wait a minute, you had to cry. Here comes the theologians. What do you cry? Unclean. Unclean. Give me about 10 people on the platform. Got two, three. Four or five. Come on, guys. I just want to be in the middle. We're facing this way. Just get all around me here. You don't have to social distance right now. We're believing God for faith. <laughs> all right. Someone right here. There you go. Thank you, P Pat. Thank you. All right. Let's walk. Multitude. What is he doing? He's hiding in the multitude. But he has to say, come back this way. Turn around, Christian, go that way. Unclean. Unclean. What if we walked in church on Sunday? Knowing we were carrying the spot and everybody's worshiping, but we are screaming, We wouldn't dare be that honest, would we? No way. That means you'd have to go to the altar and everyone would see you go down there and you were crying and they start asking, what are you doing in the altar? Again. And he's screaming, unclean, unclean. And Jesus looks at what Matthew says, there came a leper. Uh, just hang with me for a moment because y'all may have to help me make it through this emotionally. Hmm. Recently,
like 4.15 this morning. I get a call. It's urgent. And one of my grandchildren are in very, very bad trouble. Now, it's not one that you know, just so you clear your minds. And she's crying her eyes out, and she wants to confess to me. I don't care what it is at this point, because when I see my grandchildren cry, I cry. And she was crying unclean. And watch. Hear her words. I don't want to tell you, Paul, Paul. Because I don't want you to look at me differently. I don't want you to see this. I'm scared to show you me. Because if I show you me, you may not look at me the same anymore. And I don't want you to look at me differently. Papa, I love you. And I said, baby, listen to me. It don't matter what you've done. You are my granddaughter. I promise you. I promise you, you will not change my perspective of you. And I'm not telling you that to get you to tell me anything. Because if you don't tell me anything, you've told me enough. That you feel unclean and that breaks my heart. Whew. But the leper said, if I can just break free from the pace of these people. If I can break out of the movement of this crowd. I'm only one. But I know who he is. And if I can get to him, I'm not worried about the multitude. I'm not worried about what I'm covering up. And he goes to him and he doesn't say I'm unclean. He falls down and the Bible says he worshipped him. See, worship is that parking lot moment where you're not praising him because of your bills being paid or praising him because of anything he's done or praising him because of anything he will do. No, real worship is not asking him for a thing. It's just telling him who he is. And we've taught people how to praise, but we've missed the most important thing you can ever learn as a believer is worship because in your worship is your cleansing. In your worship is your healing. It's when you throw your head back and you say, God, you are sovereign. God, you are in control. God, you are Jehovah Jireh. 
God, you are everything. And if you don't ever do another thing for me, I just want to stop for a moment and worship you. And I decided something. I've decided something. And you can argue with me as long as you want, but you'll never convince me otherwise. You can't really worship without drama. Worship is ugly. Worship will make snot run down your lip. Worship will make your eyes swell up with tears. Worship will make you fall down and mess your hair up. Worship don't care about wrinkles in your clothes. We have taught you to be cute. But we have not taught you how to worship. The Bible said he worshiped him. And when you read it in the Greek, it means he knelt down and put his forehead on the ground and he removed his covering. And he said, if you can, if you will, you can make me clean. Watch what he's saying. I just want to feel clean again. Some of you came in this building carrying a spot and you covering your condition. And I came to tell you, you do not have to do anything but lift your hands and tell him, I worship you for who you are. I worship you for being my savior. I worship you for being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I worship you and in your worship, your cleansing shows up. There's one in every crowd. There's one that says, I'm not waiting for this church to start worshiping. I'm not waiting for them to sing my favorite song. I'm not waiting for the right atmosphere. I came in here with a condition and I'm gonna worship him until I feel normal again. I'm gonna worship him until I feel clean again. So when I got this word, I say, Lord, what if they don't respond to this word? And I heard the Holy Ghost say, there's one. I said, Lord, what if they don't respond? What if they don't say amen? What if they don't? He said, there's one. There's one. There's one in every crowd. See, I'm not looking at y'all. I'm looking for one today. That'll say, I ain't worried about what the rest of these people are doing. I'm here today to worship Jesus. I am here today if it were nobody else but me in this building. I came in here to worship him because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Is there one in the building? Is there one worshiper? Is there one worshiper like the centurion that would come up to Jesus and say, I worship you. Now, my servant at home is dying, but he worshiped. And when you read on, the servant was healed. The woman from Canaan had a daughter that was dying. The Bible says she worshiped him. Now, I'm going to go there. I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there. Because here's another theological error in my opinion. He said we don't give bread to dogs. He wasn't calling her a dog in regards to referring to her as a Gentile. When you read the word worship in Greek, 
Here's what it is. As a dog licks the hand of his master. That is worship. What he was saying is, I can't ignore your worship. You know how to worship. He wasn't degrading her. He was complimenting her. And the truth be told, we all dogs. But what separates some of us from the rest of us is some of us know we ain't got it all together all the time. Some of us know we got conditions that we got to deal with and we want to cover up. But if you'll throw your hands up today and tell him I worship. I wish I had somebody to throw your hands up. Throw your head back and tell Jesus I worship you, Jesus. Is there one in the crowd today? One. See, worship, listen to me carefully. Worship is the posture that puts you in position to present your petition. Who are we to be so arrogant? If you are worship and God is there and I need him to walk by worship and just say I need. Who are you just to be running around here telling God what you want and what you need? I think the church in America is in trouble because that's what we've been doing. Worship always requires a degree of humility. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves. You'll never see a true worshiper in the New Testament that is not on their knees. Their posture changes. They bow down. We teach you stand up, stand proud. Hallelujah. Here's what worship does. He said, I know you can, but I don't know if you will. We know that, right? Everybody preaches that. But I want you to hear the full efficacy of this. I recognize your power. I know you can. But my life says you can't. My life says you can't. I'm not sure if you will. Because I'm not qualified. What did Jesus say? He didn't say I can and I will. Because Jesus never has to remind us of his power. He just said, I will. What are you saying, Pastor Rick? If you will ever get in a place where you will worship him, this, don't miss this. Worship will always place you in the will of God. Boy, if I said anything today, I just said it right there. Worship will always place you in the middle of the will of God. Some of you say, I want to know the will of God. Worship. I want to get in the will of God. Worship. God is not impressed with your works. He's impressed with your worship. How do you know that? Because Jesus said, the Father is seeking those who will worship him. Who is God looking for? The leper. Who is God looking for? Now watch, the Bible says he reached out and touched him and immediately he was cleansed. Who did he touch? No, he didn't. He touched the worshiper. And I'm not trying to 
You understand what I'm saying? He didn't touch the leper. He touched the worshiper. He didn't touch him till he worshiped. Some of you need to move out of your condition, whatever it is, and become a worshiper right now because he always touches worshipers. He didn't touch a leper. He touched a worshiper. I'm going to give you 15 seconds to begin to worship him right there. Just begin to worship him right there. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Thank you. Come on, let's lift those hands and worship him. Come on, tell him. I need you, Lord. Listen to this. Worship. Lift those hands. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When you talk about worship and it feels uncomfortable, then you're talking with people that don't, don't understand the power of worship. Worship is a thirsty land crying out for rain. Worship is a candle in the act of being kindled. Worship is a drop in quest of the ocean. Worship is a voice in the night calling for help. Worship is a soul standing in awe before the mystery of the universe. Worship is time flowing into eternity. Worship is a man climbing the stairs of the altar looking for God. What are you looking for? I don't know. I don't know what y'all came looking for, but I know what he came looking for. He came looking for those who will worship. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Throw your hands up and tell him, I need you like dry land needs water. Come on, let's worship.
not supposed to do this because we have been isolated. We've been alone. But I'm going to ask the question, is there one in the crowd? Is there one that will step out today and say, listen, I got to get to Jesus. I'm not following this multitude no more. I got to get to him. He's the only one that can fix my condition. And I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to worship him till I'm right in the middle of his will. If that's you today and this word was your word, come to this altar right now. Because God is about to fix your condition. He's about to cleanse you and heal you and make you whole. Would you come today? Are you the one God is looking for? Where is that worshiper? Where is that one that will throw their hands up and say, God, I need you more than anything. Would you come today? Would you come today? I need you. every hand raised every hand raised just lift your hands please I want to pray for you this is not a trick question but I'm going to ask you who did he touch he touched the worshiper when you worship him he'll touch you and when he touches you everything changes I've determined that Man cannot manipulate other men to worship Jesus. I'm, I'm convicted about that. Men cannot manipulate other men to worship Jesus. Worship has to come out of one, one's own initiative, out of one's own desire. All preachers can do is tell you this is the power if you do it. If you do it, things are going to change.